everybody. Welcome to the Health Perspectives Podcast. I am your host, Marie Kruger, and I'm so excited for today because I'm sitting with my dear, dear friend. Let's get started. Aileen, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great, everybody. Aileen Jackson's in the house. She is a orthopedic nurse navigator mm-hmm. with Northeast Georgia Health System over in our Brazelton location. And Aileen and I go way back. Like, that could be a whole other podcast. But for the purpose <laughs> of today... Just know she's got 19 years of experience in healthcare with 15 of those years in orthopedics. That's correct. So we have a fantastic expert with us today. So let's get started. Awesome. Um, nurse navigator, what are you navigating? Let's talk about what you do. I know. I tell people all the time it's a really fancy title. Um, so what it means, I do a lot of education throughout the system. So and I um teach staff what to expect with uh, orthopedic surgery patients. Um, I interact with the patients, the family members, educate them on um, different orthopedic surgeries, how to be successful before, preparing before, successful after. And then also almost act as a liaison between um, our multiple different surgeons and the hospital itself. Okay, got it. So this is actually, the timing is perfect because we talked earlier, my husband and just went to see one of your PAs. That's correct. My poor husband. Hi, Dan. I'm talking about you. Um, <laughs> so he, he's been having hip pain for about a year now. Mm-hmm. And he went to see the PA. Yeah. And he suggested physical therapy and possibly a hip replacement. Yeah. Right. So at what point on that patient journey will Dan's see you? Is this like before they say, hey, it's time for your surgery? Yes. So um, normally the way that works, so when a patient walks into an orthopedist office and says, I'm having hip pain, I'm having knee pain, wherever it might be, you know, they're going to do a number of tests to figure out what's going really going on here. Um, Some x-rays, if they need to go more in depth, maybe um, CAT scans, MRIs, whatever they deem most important to determine what exactly is going on. And, you know, they don't jump straight into let's go right ahead and and replace the joint. They want to go a little conservative to begin with. So that's where with Dan doing the physical therapy starts. Um, And they might also say, you know, an injection. There are different types of injections, some just for inflammation and pain, There's some gel injections to try and get a little more um, cushion or movement in that joint uh, where there is some breakdown of the cartilage. And after those, if those conservative treatments don't Mm -hmm. necessarily work, then they'll lean more towards, okay, it's time to get this replaced um, to get you back to living your life as you want and enjoying the things you want to do. It's that whole quality of life. It's so important. Absolutely. So let's talk briefly about what exactly a joint replacement is. Sure. So it seems a little intimidating um, and folks get a little nervous. What are they taking out all of my bone? What in the world is going to happen? Um, So say for Dan, for a hip replacement, um, the femur bone, which is your thigh bone, has a ball on the top of it that sits inside of your pelvis uh, or creating the hip joint. So it's a ball and socket joint. So what happens when that wears down is that ball 
there's no more cushion in between the mm-hmm. ball and the pelvis. So you get what people call bone on bone. And that's where the, I know it sounds oh, awful. Sounds so painful. <laughs> it's where the pain comes from. So they, what they'll do is, and this is where it gets a little scary. Okay. They remove that ball off the top of the femur. So okay. they do take that off and they replace it with, they call it a component but a metal piece. Um, so there's a rod portion that goes down into the thigh that holds it in place, and then there's a new ball. And then they put a um, uh, like a little capsule over top of that okay. um, that then sits in the pelvis so the new ball, the new metal ball, can move around smoothly. Wow. So they, yeah. they enter from the top part of your hip. So it depends on the patient. also depends on the surgeon and their preferred technique. So there are a couple different ways to go about it. So there's, to get technical, there's yeah. an anterior approach, which means from the front of your hip. Okay. Or a posterior, which as I tell people, it kind of goes through your hiney cheek. Um, so again- That's through the muscle. It is. So that's yeah. gotta be maybe a, a more difficult uh, recovery. Not necessarily. Really? A little more, a few more restrictions um, as far as movements, um, not to strain those muscles that they've gone through that could potentially dislocate the new hip. That's a big no-no we want to avoid. Right. Um, all things that the therapist that sees the patient in the hospital will go over with them um, to uh, them at meaning the patient to right. make sure that they're safe at home. But it depends on the damage to the hip and it depends on the surgeon's preference. And sometimes it depends on the person's body shape. What's oh. going to be the best approach um, to be able to successfully um, replace that hip. Okay. And so what sort of things cause this intense pain? Is it arthritis? Is it a combination yeah. of things? So a lot of times, um, yes, it is arthritis. Okay. Um, so there's uh, osteoarthritis, rheumatoid arthritis is a condition some people can have that will break down smaller joints and then larger joints. Honestly, it could also have to do with when you're younger, just oh. wear and tear. Are you doing intense activities? Um, you'll see, I'll see a lot of... Um, football players that played football in high school and in college that have terrible knees because they're squatting down all the time and then they're playing or um, military guys jumping out of planes and stuff like that. Really? Yeah. Um, So years after getting in the military, if they were parachuting or different things like that and the landings just get so intense on the joints, it can break it down. Oh my gosh. Okay. So, so when someone comes to your clinic, like Mm -hmm. what is that sort of um, point where the doctor's like, yeah, we need surgery. Physical therapy is just going Mm -hmm. to maybe manage it for a little bit, but eventually... So most, I would say most folks when they come into uh, the clinic are, they're they're coming because they're hurting. Mm -hmm. Um, And the biggest drive is one, I'm hurting. And two, I can't do what I want to do. Gotcha. So I'm limited on um, like my daily activities. So I'll get some folks that really like to hike and they've slowly noticed maybe over months or even a year, I can no longer hike because it hurts too bad Mm. in my knee or in my hip. Or um, maybe I get a lot of ladies that say, I want to be able to get down in the floor with my grandkids and play with them and then be able to get back up. (laughs) So, I mean, that's a big thing. So um, when we see people coming into the clinics is, is, 
it's affecting their life, right. their lifestyle, what they want to be able to do, what they enjoy doing. Right. That makes sense. And, and that, that applies to so many other things we do yeah. in healthcare. You just want to live a healthy life. Mm-hmm. Um, so how should a patient prepare for that surgery with, with you guys? You know, the biggest thing is education. Mm-hmm. Educate yourself. I mentioned before, part of my role is to do that education because we want you to be successful afterwards. So if you know what is expected of you, if we set that expectation with you, you can follow through and then continue that when you go home. I had um, a physical therapist say once, it was a really cool saying, he said, you know, the surgeon does the surgery and replaces a joint like giving you a newborn baby, but you have to go home and take care of it and grow it and get it stronger. Right, okay. So that's truly how it is. So the surgeon does their part, you get your your joint replacement, but then you need to make sure you're safe at home, Mm -hmm. that the biggest thing we do we don't want to happen is we don't want you to fall down. Right. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So having your home set up to where there's no um, potential trip hazards. Folks don't realize this, but you might have a cord that runs underneath a rug. Mm -hmm. Well, if your leg isn't a hundred percent, you might get your toe caught on that and it causes you to stumble and fall. So moving those cords out of the way, picking up the rugs, um, getting the home ready, making sure uh, you have equipment at home to help you navigate and do your self-care. So something to sit on in the shower, um, a walker to help stabilize you as you're moving around until that leg gets really strong underneath you. And then the other thing is it's not a bad idea to start some minimal exercises to strengthen some of those muscles. You don't want to do anything that's really going to irritate it or make the joint say, oh my goodness, this hurts so much. Right. But little things to help kind of strengthen, especially if you've been um, pretty sedentary. Okay. Um, some folks that come in are still try to be very active and that really does benefit them after the surgery and their recuperation. Um, but a few exercises ahead of time is getting the home ready, making sure you have somebody to help you right after surgery. Right. So these folks are not staying in the hospital for long. So way back when I first started orthopedics, you know, you're laying in the bed for multiple days in the hospital and then we're sending you to a rehab facility to get better. And you're there for weeks and then you go home. Not the case anymore. Okay. I mean, technique on surgery, the implants that they use, so the components that they put in are so much better than, you know, 10, 15 years ago, that we're getting these folks up and moving the same day of surgery within just oh a couple gosh. hours of waking up. And it they people get frightened by that. I'm sure. But, you know, and it seems kind of odd. They're saying, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm having so much pain. I've taken some pain medicine. And then I come in and I say, well, you know what? We're going to get up. <laughs> and they kind of look at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> But it really actually does help with some of the pain to get up and move and not okay. lay there and get stiff. And that's no matter how old you are. No how matter old? how old. Okay. I mean, you could be 45 coming through. I had a gentleman so sweet last week. He was 86 and had his knee replaced. He's turning 87 next week. Man. And he was like, I want to be able to work on my farm. Well, yes, sir. Let's <laughs> get you back to that. So 
if you come in aware of what's going to be happening and educate yourself on this is what's expected of me, this is what's going to help me recoup as far as therapy goes, getting up, moving, it really gets you in a better mindset. Okay. Well, you mentioned something earlier about having someone there to help. Oh, yeah. I'm sure you've got patients that don't live with anyone. Sure. How do we handle that? So a good game plan ahead of time, honestly. So... um, our goal when somebody leaves the hospital is to get them into therapy within just a couple of days to continue what they did right after surgery. Okay. And um, the preference, if you think about it, is to go to an outpatient clinic. They have a lot of tools and different things that they can work with you. So that's our goal is to get them there. Okay. Now, if they don't have somebody that can drive them or if they don't have somebody or if they live alone, mm-hmm. which we do get a lot. Sure. It's a lot of planning ahead of time. Can we get a family member to stay with you for a couple of days, a friend, a church member, something like that? Do we need to maybe have somebody come to your home and do therapy at your home until you can drive yourself? Those are all options that we have. Now, when we're saying have somebody come stay with you, it's not for weeks and weeks. It's maybe four or five days. And then you're really independent on your own moving around. I know. (laughs) Is that pain relief instant? Like when they wake up, they're like, I don't feel any pain. So, you know, everybody, it's hit or miss. So everybody's different as far as, you know, their pain control. They're the best judge of their pain. Um, Have I had some people wake up after a hip replacement and say, oh my gosh, this is so much better than yesterday? Absolutely. Yeah. But they're referring to the constant pain that they had before that drove them to have the surgery. Okay. Now they're going to have surgical pain. Hello, you had surgery. It's a procedure. But if you keep in mind, that is um, just during the time where you're healing. Okay. And it's going to go away. Okay. So um, most folks are on maybe some pain medicine for um, maybe a week. And then might be able to just take some Tylenol and do um, just fine with that on their own as they're healing. Okay. Um, But, you know, everybody's a little bit different. But I'd say that weak marker on pain medicine after surgery is kind of the sweet spot. That's incredible. I know, right? So so you get this new hip or your new knee. How long will that last? Is that forever? Are you good to go? You know, most research says a new joint, a new hip or knee replacement will last, um, you know, 10 to 15 years. But as again, as techniques are better, the components are better. I'll see some folks 20 years or so with the with the same replacement that they've had. It truly just just depends on the person too. So if you after you get the joint replaced, we say we want you to get back to your lifestyle and um, enjoy what you're doing. Low impact activities are going to be better to help preserve that joint. So walking, swimming. Yeah. Okay. I get a lot of folks golfing. That's a big thing, too. So that's perfectly fine. Now, if you're one to do more high impact stuff, running, tennis, um, what's a couple of cycling? Yeah. So those higher impact will definitely affect the joint quicker um, than your lower impact activities. Okay. And then here's another one that people don't think about. Maintain a healthy weight too. Oh, yeah. We need to talk about that. Yeah. So the more weight you carry, excess weight you carry on the body, the more not damage, the more pressure you're putting on your joints. Right. That can break it down faster. So 
some docs will say, you know, weight is an issue as far as if they'll jump right ahead and do the surgery um, because they want to make sure that lower the risk and of any complications related mm-hmm. to anesthesia and the surgery itself mm-hmm. and then help preserve the joint for a longer period of time after surgery too. Okay. So if someone says, doc, I'm going to lose 30 to 40 pounds. Sure. Will that, you can't reverse what's happened in, no. in the joint. No, you can't. Okay. But you can slow down the damage if it is related to the weight. Um, and they might find if they lose the 30, 40 pounds, their joint might not hurt anymore. Interesting. And they might be able to hold off on getting that joint replaced for a right. little bit longer. But that would be a discussion between, you know, the patient and their specific surgeon. What's the best game plan for them? Gotcha. Okay. So there's probably some myths out there sure. about joint replacement. And maybe we can talk a little bit about those. What What's the biggest myth that you hear at work? Um, the biggest one, the most... They, it, folks just try to hold off as okay. long as they can before they have the surgery. Or I'm too young to have a joint replaced. I understand that. There is, a, I feel like there is a big stigma on that one. If I talk to a patient that's in their 50s and say, you're going to need a walker for a week <laughs> or so, right. that's kind of an ego uh, right there. It's a hit to punch. the ego. Yeah. <laughs> Especially with the guys. Yes. Um, yes. But it is, you know. I, it doesn't hurt that bad. Or I've had a, a fair amount of good days, um, so I'm going to hold off. Or I'm going to be in the hospital for days and days and days. Uh, not the case. Not the case. And um, I, the biggest thing I hear yeah. after surgery is, why did I wait so long? Oh, isn't that something? Mm-hmm. And is that for knees and hips and... Whatever. All the above. All the above. Yep. Gosh. So why did I sit here and suffer for so long just putting this off? So scared of the surgery itself and the recuperation. Because it is a commitment. Oh, yeah. Um, But just the relief of pain and to be able to start to have a normal stride or the, a normal walk mm-hmm. again where maybe you're not limping or you're not relying on your good leg right compared to your one that has the damaged joint um i'm trying to think of a couple other ones um honestly those are the biggest ones i should yeah i should wait as long as possible i'm too i'm too young that's the big (laughs) one i'm too young for this right right but but do you have a better outcome if you get it younger or does that not really apply i mean it might it, it could. So obviously younger fo- folks tend to be healthier, have less um, comorbidities or other health problems. Um, so they do tend to be come through quickly. Uh, we even our healthier folks will send home the same day of surgery. Mm-hmm. We'll get you up, walk you within a few hours, make sure your pain's controlled and let you recoup at home because you do better. You rest better at home. Right. You don't come to the hospital to sleep. I right. tell everybody that. They keep interrupting you. Oh my gosh. Right. As nurses, we're very bad about yeah, that. Yeah, you're very bad. Goodness, very bad. we have to do our jobs. <laughs> um, but, you know, yes, being younger, um, 
tend to be more active, do bounce back a little bit faster. But that doesn't mean, you know, my 80 year old woman coming through isn't going to be spry, just strutting it down the hallway, too. Right. Um, It really is a mindset and um, following through with everything that's been asked of you as far as your surgeon and their team Mm -hmm. and your therapist. So, yeah. okay. And so you're you're a coach. Basically. Correct. Yeah. And and that's a really important piece of this whole mm-hmm. puzzle that we're talking about. Um, is that something that's available everywhere if you go through this journey or is this pretty special? Um, I feel like I'm pretty special. Oh, here. You are pretty special. I mean, I, you I'll know, agree. <laughs> why, thanks. You're welcome. So, um, I mean, there definitely is any surgeon's office you're going to go to is going to probably have an information packet to give you on what to expect and um, how to be successful. Okay. Um, Because it's not not everybody is exactly the same. Not every surgeon that I work with does things exactly the same. I try to get them all on the same page, but they just (laughs) want to do their own thing. Sure. Um, But having that open line of communication is going to be huge between you and your surgeon. Having somebody in your corner, like a coach, somebody at home, a family member, a spouse, a friend. I've had um, folks rely on their... um, their children, huh. you know, like maybe their adult t- children are really hounding them. You got to get better. You got to, you keep complaining. Let's get on right. this. So to have somebody to really root for you is important. You know, that person at home to make sure you're safe, um, to remind you, Hey, you've only done your exercises twice today. You got to do it one more. Right. You don't want somebody to be nagging at you, sure. but somebody encouraging you along the way is really going to make a difference. Gotcha. Cause it's not, it doesn't happen overnight. Um, you know, the surgery happens and then the healing process is little wins as you go. Oh, I could bend my knee um, five degrees further today than I could yesterday. Well, heck yeah, that's an improvement. <laughs> yeah. Own it. Yeah. So having somebody there to be your cheerleader really does does help. OK. And so if, if you're looking to uh, get a surgery, get a joint replacement surgery, what are some things that folks should look for when uh, finding a place to go, looking at talking to a surgeon? What are some good questions that they should be asking? So, you know, walking in, um, of course, they're going to do some evaluations of you, do different, you know, the test, x-rays, you know, manipulate the joint to see what can what causes the pain, where might the issue be? OK. Um, you definitely want to ask the, the, the surgeon or their team member, whoever's evaluating you, what is a game plan? Um, how many of these have you done? That's not oh, a that's bad a idea. great question. I mean, there are hundreds of thousands of joints done across the country every year because um, our population, the baby boomers are getting mm-hmm. older. Um, they're needing their joints replaced. Right. Um, you know, what is their success rate? What is their complication rate? You know, um, do you keep people overnight? Do you send them home the same day? Um, how do you feel about therapy after surgery? Um, do you have a preference on um, a, a therapy facility that's going to do better and get me to my goals faster? Okay. Um, those are great questions. And in yeah. one of the other podcasts, um, one of our primary care doctors says, mm-hmm. write it down. Yes. And bring your questions with you. No one's going to think you're, you know, 
No one's going to judge. But honestly, because when you get in these rooms, it's like, I forgot what I was going to ask. I wholeheartedly agree with that. So I act. So all the patients here have access to me and my number. So I get a lot of phone calls or, you know, email messages, asking questions. And that is a big thing I say. Write it down. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, the moment the surgeon, the PA, the nurse practitioner walks in the room, everything goes out of your head. I mean, it happens to me, even at being a healthcare provider. So um, having those written down to make sure you're getting all your questions answered is going to be really important and give you that peace of mind and that confidence in your surgeon. And you know what? If you go to one surgeon and they say, hey, you need a, a, you know, a knee replacement um, and maybe you don't jive real well with that surgeon or you don't get a good vibe from them, get a second opinion. You know, I really encourage that, too, because if you're not confident in your surgeon and and what they're telling you, then you're not going to be comfortable going through surgery. You're going to be second guessing Good yourself. Point. Good point. I, I agree. And I'm glad you reassured people to, to do that because I yeah. think we get a little intimidated. Sure. You know? And you don't want to hurt feelings. You hurt feelings. And you feel like, oh, my gosh, if I go to somebody else, they're going to think I'm just you know, trying to, you know, get medicine from this one or that right. one or no, you need to feel confident in who is going to be providing your care. That's so true. So what's the what's the takeaway here, Aileen? What is like that little nugget mm-hmm. of information that you want people to to leave this podcast knowing about joint replacement? Prepare yourself. OK. Um, educate yourself and. I would, you know, I'd also say have a goal to reach a goal in mind, because that's really going to drive you there. And don't think that you're too young, or maybe I have a good day. So I really don't need to have this done. Why suffer? Right. Live your life the way you want to live it. That's awesome. Thank you, Aileen. You're welcome. That was chock full of information. I can't wait to hear Listen to this again and share it with Dan. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And maybe he'll see you soon, probably. (laughs) Well, good luck to him. Thank you. And to anybody else that's looking for a joint replacement. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Aileen. And thanks for listening, everybody. Join us next time for the next Health Perspectives podcast. Take care. 